I love the new technologies that are coming. We're staying up to date from an education standpoint and how we could potentially utilize these as businesses. You know, for example, blockchain, blockchain technology, it's not just for the Bitcoins and cryptocurrencies, it's for mm-hmm. many different things. So um, we're going to look into the, how we could use that potentially. Hi there, food enthusiasts. Welcome again. My name is Chris Rechkowski, your host of the Future Foodcast. We're here to talk with thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technologies that will be shaping the future of food. Very excited to be here today with Jake Carls from Midday Squares. Welcome, Jake. How you doing? Uh, I'm super fired up about this because, you know, we had our discussion previous and, and I think it's going to be a great, a great podcast episode. And I'm excited to jump into the story and get deep and see if we can add some value here. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, I think uh, a good way to start with this is, you know, what were you doing right before you were getting into middays, before you started Midday Squares and what prompted you to kick this product off? Uh, I was I was throwing parties on college campuses because I was so addicted to going back to college after I graduated. So I wanted to be there. So what I did was I would throw parties and then I would create these pop-up shop experiences on the campus and sell clothing because I, I wanted to create a community within the college that wasn't so much associated with the university itself, but it was associated with the actual student population. And what I learned during that process, I did it for two years straight right after college. And I learned that I was very good at building community, not operating a business. I ended up losing $75,000 in that journey, but yet I was flown out to NFL camps. I was on the Game of Thrones set. I was doing some crazy stuff because the community kept building strong and stronger and stronger and stronger until it was like, I, I was like almost like this like Van Wilder on campus, even though I wasn't <laughs> in college. And um so I, I didn't, I, what I did learn that in that, in that journey was two things, that my strengths are to build community and storytell, and that my weaknesses are management and organizational things. So I was not a good operator, but I was a very good, I was very good at building noise and building community. Excellent. Well, I, I think we're going to have a lot to discuss on how you're reaching out to your customers, but before we get there, um, tell us what motivated you to start this new product, Midday Squares, and tell us a bit about the product itself. For sure. So my partners are my sister and my brother-in-law. They're married. Um, so we are a family business. And I only joined as the third co-founder at launch date. So previous to launch date, a year before launching, my sister wanted to make my brother-in-law, who's addicted to chocolate, a better for you chocolate snack for his afternoon cravings. He always had these afternoon cravings and he'd eat this chocolate and then he would crash. So she said that she could make him a better snack that actually was made with nutrient dense ingredients, real foods, and was real chocolate. And she ended up making it because she was a foodie at heart. And he brought it to his office and his company and they loved it. They were freaking for this chocolate snack. And long story short, fast forward a bit, he ended up selling out of that company and my sister ended up closing her fashion business that she was in. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to do a business together. They were like, okay, well, what can we do together? And they both love food. And at first they decided to try to launch a morning oats thing because they liked the morning oat industry, but they couldn't make a product that was 10X better than everything in the space in the morning oat space. And it then clicked to my brother-in-law, Nick, after he got out of the shower, he read a report that came from a major conglomerate here in Canada that showed that real chocolate, so anything above 55% cocoa mass, darker chocolate that had a cocoa butt 
cocoa butter base rather than a palm kernel oil base was on a tear at like 44% year over year growth, mm -hmm. like kind of like a lint bar, darker chocolate. And then you have the vegan protein space, plant-based proteins on another tear at 36% year over year. And it clicked in his head in that moment that, oh my God, Leslie is making a baby. My sister was making him a baby of those two categories. She was mm -hmm. making a real chocolate bar that had plant-based ingredients. And he's like, that's what we're launching. So they reached out to McGill. They helped commercial, McGill University's food and science team helped commercialize the product. They don't own any IP or anything like that. They helped commercialize it. And then they approached me in July, 2018, I believe it was, to launch this product and be the head of the community and get people excited and build noise. And the first thing I said to them was, hell no. I enjoy this. I don't care if I get 33% of the business. I don't even want to join this. And I'm like, I love the product. It tastes, it tastes absolutely incredible. But do you know who you're competing with in the grocery space? If you go to the grocery store, as everyone knows, there's between 20 and 40,000 different products on the shelf. You know, so I said, it's going to be too hard. Even if our product's unbelievable, it's going to be way too hard to separate ourselves. And mm -hmm. I decided to reject the offer. And two months, a month later, long story short, I didn't want to run around college campuses anymore because it was so, it was so tiring that I said, you know what? I need something to do and it ain't going to be throwing parties on college campuses. So why not join the chocolate company as the third co-founder and do what I do best. They're allowing me to go build hype, build noise, build community. I don't need to even operate anything because they're going to do the operations. And that's when we launched midday squares was August, 2018. Um, the three of us, I like to call it the tripod and the chocolate factory. <laughs> well, again, I think there's going to be a great story that we're going to talk through on the e-commerce side and the connection with your customers. Um, I'll stay on the food side a little bit longer. Um, and I think there's a couple of um, really interesting things to pick up on. One, um, probably a good lesson for on other entrepreneurs out there and that the founders of this particular business actually looked at real numbers for real trends in the industry, put a couple of things together and said, we can, we can ride this wave with this product. And that is super, super smart. Um, just finding the numbers in the trends and building on that. But one thing that I also saw as part of the marketing language around the product is the word functional and functional foods, um, which taps on both of these areas that you were following the trend on. But tell us a little bit more about the concept of functional foods and what it means for midday squares. So yeah, very important to know that data did drive the decision to launch this company. And if you looked at the space, it looked like one of the most saturated spaces from the outside. But when you went within the saturation of this market of chocolate, you realize the size of it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes, it's mature. What we decided to do was create a white space within that set where we took a chocolate bar, we took a protein bar, we made love with them but got rid of the junk that's in protein bars, the things that people don't like about protein bars mm -hmm. and the things that don't like about chocolate bars. We took the best of both of those and that was what the midday square is. However, when you say functional, the reason why we called it functional chocolate bar is because it's a new age chocolate bar. What mm -hmm. we did was we took the benefits from a protein bar. We used superfood ingredients that actually had some sort of reason for being in your body. And we put them into a product that was still delicious. The one thing that worried us at the beginning was we wanted people to know that this was priority number one was taste. Taste is still priority number one. The benefits were number two, the functionality. And the goal number, the, the number two goal was can we build a snack that actually kept you full 
for three to four hours. So when you had your chocolate bar at 2 p.m., when you crave the chocolate, mm -hmm. will it carry you over to your dinner or your pre-post-workout that you're about to have? And that was why it's functional. It actually does something for you while mm -hmm. using ingredients that are full of nutritional benefit, you know, nutrition benefits, nutritional yeah. benefits. Well, this is um, certainly, I think, a trend that we're seeing in this podcast also is people's genuine interest and in actually making purchasing decisions, not just on taste. Like you said, taste is first. Without that, the product doesn't fly. But does this fit some functional value in their life? And that in itself is you know, a, you know, a really great building block for uh, midday squares. But my understanding is you also have, the company also has some sort of deeper efforts in the sustainability area. It's sort of looking back into your supply chain and also helping your customers understand the sustainability um, aspects of this product. Yeah, for sure. So 100%, we use real foods. We don't use any preservatives, additives, or chemicals. It's 100% organic, fair trade chocolate, um, vegan, gluten-free, soy-free. All of those are all features, but those are features that were part of our core values. So we believe that making a product that was better for you and actually gave people a chance to digest ingredients that actually di are digestible and not bad for your system was something really important to us. You know, I think the world where we're going in this world is we're being more educated on different food ingredients, what they do to your body, what the blood sugars go, all these different things where for us, we said absolutely no to any preservatives, to any additives, to anything artificial, because uh -huh. we want everyone to know how these things break down in your body. And I think that's the future of food between you and I is food transparency, is what does this product do to your body? And you'll see a lot of products out there that say zero grams of sugar, one gram of sugar, but they use sugar alcohols, they use other artificial stuff. Mm -hmm. And that stuff is not digesting properly in your system. So for me, our goal here at Midday Squares, and on behalf of the entire team here, all 65 of us, we are focused on providing real foods that are tasty and delicious, that also have some functionality to it, because we want to make sure that food illness isn't something that we have to worry about in the next hundred years. Right. Well, we're going to wrap back on this transparency issue because we're going to, I think, talk more about the customer side, but got to cut you loose soon on what you're really passionate about, which is that connection with customers. And tell us about that. And also, you know, how are you using technologies today to really connect with your customers in an authentic way? So super important. Transparency and authenticity is our currency here at Midday Squares. What I mean by that is... When I came in in August 2018, my pitch to Leslie and Nick, my partners, on how we were going to make noise and, and build that excitement around the brand was simple. I showed them a slide of Shark Tank's ratings on TV, and I showed them a slide of the Kardashians and shows similar to that on, TV, on, on the ratings from TV. And I said, these two shows are growing really, really fast. And entrepreneurship is becoming celebritized. And I said, reality television, where you see drama, is something that the consumer wants to watch. So I said, we need to marry these two by creating a approach where we as founders become the celebrities, where it, we look at it more like the boy slash girl band approach, where we like the Spice Girls or the Backstreet Boys, where at least the consumer can always relate to at least one band member, one mm -hmm. band member. So instead of selling the chocolate, sorry, instead of selling records, we're selling chocolate. So mm -hmm. what we did was humanize the brand so much where we documented from day one, it's in our DNA and our blood, everything, the good, 
the bad and the ugly. And what I mean by that is hard things that are hard, uncomfortable to watch because you don't get to see this side of businesses a lot of the time because they're frightened to show the authentic things that are going on. For mm -hmm. us, because we started day one and we showed it since day one, it's so natural for us to show, you know, hard times when we're having therapy sessions together as partners and how we can solve issues or to, you know, a manufacturing crisis or to a huge success of an investor coming in or, or a retailer coming on board. These emotions and showing them via social media allow for the consumer to be more of a fan of the brand mm -hmm. rather than a consumer. And what happens is, is they're on this roller coaster ride, emotional roller coaster ride with us. So they know exactly what's going on every single day in this business. And they could step on the roller coaster when they want and they could step off whenever they want. Mm -hmm. And the way we use technology is there's consistent cameras filming 24 seven. We have editors, videographers, produ um, producers, guiding content. And we use social media like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, as plat and our own podcast as platforms and vehicles to release this storytelling. You know, I, I think you may have invented either already or on this podcast a new a new category for food that we can call RFF, uh, reality functional foods. And <laughs> um, you, it seems like you have a very um, whether it's purposeful or not, you have a very analytical group, and you're looking for real things that are going on. But, and then you understand it and you capture it in your product and in your marketing. And what you're talking about, I've heard some other entrepreneurs sort of explain this in their approach, but maybe not quite from the analytical approach you have, which is authenticity in the product is important. Not just, you know, it's a beautiful sunset, you know, have a glass of wine, but the entrepreneurs are the rock stars and people want to connect with them. And that is, in, you know, basically that is almost a first step in transparency to for customer adoption. Um, very, very important, um, I think, trend that is really enabled by the way we consume digital media these days. You're 100% right. And I think that um, a lot of the time you're also going to see companies or entrepreneurs not give it their 150% into it. And this creates this, this, this barrier where, again, it doesn't come off as authentic because you're not showing everything. For us, when we decided to show everything, it was very difficult and uncomfortable to have cameras rolling 24 seven, um, you know, everything's on the table. You know, I'll never forget an investor once said to us, why did you just show that therapy session between the three of you? It was too personal and he takes it back today. And why he takes it back was because he believes that that's, that type of content is what fuels this community. It's what builds something different that other major food companies have trouble figuring out. For us, yes, we're growing and we want to be a chocolate conglomerate. And I mean like a top level conglomerate, similar to the size of Hershey's, you know, Nestle, Mondelez, any of those big companies. But for us, our focus is how do we do it in an authentic way that also, that also fuels the community? If you look at the public market, and you look at the, the, the market and you look at the, the, you know, how market caps work. And we take a company like Lululemon. She take a company like Lululemon. has a great community, authentic community. They've invested tremendous amounts of dollars into it, built a lot of programs to build this community. They're trading at a 10 plus multiple. The mm -hmm. public market values that company at a 10 plus multiple. Mm -hmm. If we go take a company that's a huge food company that's been around like Hershey's, Kellogg's, or Saputo, great companies, don't get me wrong, love them all. 
but they're trading between a one and a three, maybe a four if they're lucky. Mm -hmm. And the difference is, is there's an emotional attachment and connectivity, a connection which create, which has a relatability factor that's taken in on the Lululemon side or the Nike side, because they're focusing on community. For us, our goal is to build that community and keep it, not just build it for the sake of, oh, let's do a fun marketing thing and show mm -hmm. something that's dramatic and then leave it at that. It's no, it's, this is who we are. And we're going to show the good, the bad, the ugly. And you'll definitely know Jake, me, my sister, my brother-in-law at a personal level. So when you go to the grocery store and you see the midday squares on the, sh on the refrigerator, you're no longer just seeing that healthy, delicious chocolate bar. You're now seeing that healthy, delicious chocolate bar. And, oh, hey, I know Nick, Jake, Les, and the midday squares team because they're mm. super awesome. And that creates this, this domino effect that happens very quickly uh, in right. terms of growth. Well, let's, let's uh, maybe explore a little more, a little more deeply um, how you're actually reaching out and what channels for, you know, some of our viewers may not have seen midday squares yet, um, may not have come across it. And, and for those viewers, how, how are you literally reaching to your customers? We've heard what, you know, sort of the material that you're providing. How does it get to them? So we use social media to use it as a vehicle to get to them organically. Uh -huh. And what happens is it's shared a lot. When we put content that's relatable to the human soul and to humans generally, that tends to go very, it has a virality affection to it naturally without paying for that. That's one way. Number two is we have influencers that are authentic to the brand that promote the product. Um, they like it, they eat it, they talk about it. That creates this noise that naturally funnels them back to us. Um, we have our retailers show the brand in a different way as much as possible. Like for example, on our packaging, you see the humans behind the package. You see the three of us on it. It's a funky picture. And we direct people back by saying, check out the behind the scenes of the world's greatest chocolate company in a handwritten note. And that allows the consumer to redirect to our social media channels where they can get into the ecosystem. Another thing is every first time order that they buy online, customers, they receive a Polaroid picture of the three of us, that's a funky picture that has a handwritten message on it that my mom actually writes that creates that personal touch. Again, reinforcing this humanization, this authentic factor to the brand. And this creates just this, all these things together alongside paid media pushes this ecosystem to get bigger, 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 bigger and swoop in more and more individuals. It doesn't just have to be entrepreneurs. It can be people that love chocolate. It can be people that love Entertainment it can be people that love just watching humans do what humans like to do. And the ecosystem just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and we just keep building it bigger through more and more content creation of, mm -hmm. the, well, of the story of entrepreneurship unfiltered. Yeah. Well, these you know, media channel selection, I'm sure, is very important um, in your product. And maybe tell us, you know, maybe a bit. What are you, the preferred media channels today? What are you actually using? And maybe if you were to look into your crystal ball, what do you see as maybe the preferred media channels two or three years from now? Um, maybe the same, maybe others that are up and coming, maybe those that don't even exist that you might even plan to create. Every couple of years, a new platform comes out on the social media um, trail. Um, that's because we're all connected on it, right? So a new one came out. So TikTok's not new, but it, it became very hot recently. Um, right. And it's not just for Gen Z, it's for um, everyone. Everyone uses it for different reasons. There's entertainment, there's education. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening there. So, you know, that's taking a lot of the, the Instagram and Facebook uh, traffic that used to be on those platforms. So you see these like evolutions that happen, you know, through the internet. Mm -hmm. And 
we believe that obviously, you know, our dominant source right now is Instagram. It's our number one platform. And then, you know, we have Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn's a big one as well. Um, but like I said, you know, you can't be on everything. It's too hard as a business, especially being a small to medium sized business. It's very expensive. So I believe that we're just going to keep seeing evolutions of how media gets better and better and more time to be spent on. So look uh -huh. at, you know, people use their phones and their mobile apps as entertainment. It's the modern day TV almost, let's call it. And um, we're just we're just believing and investing and bullish on that. So we're gonna continue to invest in that. We might have a TV show down the line, a docu-series, whether that's on Netflix or one of those, you know, Amazon Prime or any of those things. And we've already been in discussions previously to how we're gonna build that. Excellent. Well, that's, um, I think, a great insight. Uh, quite common platforms, but um, just shows the power of them out there. And I think we've talked about a, a couple of areas, how you're reaching out to customers. One, you know, say the social media side or the, the real authenticity side of showing who the founders are. But earlier when we were talking about the product, we also talked about uh, transparency of the raw materials that go into it, um, even the supply chain going back to fair trade, et cetera. Now, packaging all this together, um, you know, some of the other interesting areas of technology that we hear about today in terms of blockchain, people using QR codes for everything from looking at their menus to all sorts of other stuff today. Um, what would you imagine in the near future for your product? Say somebody can scan a QR code on your product. What are they going to see? What do they want to see? So I believe that they're going to, first of all, I love, I love the new technologies that are coming and you got to stay, we're, we're staying up to date from an education standpoint and how we could potentially utilize these as businesses. You know, for example, blockchain, blockchain technology, it's not just for the Bitcoins and cryptocurrencies, it's for mm -hmm. many different things. So um, we're going to look into the, how we could use that potentially. Um, but I think the QR codes on the packaging, which is going to be interesting is I believe in the next 10 years, we're going to be able to analyze what foods do to your body. So, you know, there's already this company called Levels, which is basically a patch they put onto you, um, not for just diabetics, um, for anyone, the average person. And basically it reads what foods do to you as soon as they enter into your body. So I believe that's going to be a big thing down the line um, that's going to go mainstream. And we're happy to be already taking part in that and just understanding how our, our products, what they actually do from a scientific level to your body and from a mm -hmm. blood sugar level specifically. And um, that transparency is going to come out as a shrewd awakening for a lot of foods that people are having currently that think it's, it's good for their bodies, but it's actually doing the exact opposite. For example, giving you energy for first 15 minutes and then crashing you down is a big problem, right? So mm -hmm. sustained energy, sustained filling you up. Like there's a lot of things that we're, we're, we're intrigued in, but I think food transparency will be the future um, in terms of what things do to your body, what, what different food products do to your body. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's a lot of different ideas come to mind. And this is something I hadn't heard of before where you're already um, working with at least one company, it sounds like, to understand what, in your case, your food is doing to their body. But I could certainly imagine a situation where somebody scans the QR code, um, has your chocolate bar, it's, there is a connection with their smartwatch, which sends heart rate and other information, maybe privacy respecting in a privacy respecting way. And maybe they get a benefit from that, from sharing their biological reaction. They might get something free. They might get an NFT. Who knows what they might get from that. But it, it sounds like a, a great way to keep spinning up consumer interests because you never know what you're going to get when you scan that QR code. That's what I'm saying. And, and I, I truly think, I truthfully think, you know, 
we're gonna have to as a, as the food supply chain part of the food canadian food supply north american food supply chain let's call it we as brands need to come up with ways to deliver good products for your for your body and i mean by that is how does your body react to them i, I don't mean weight loss and all that things i mean like health wise what's it doing and the way that's going to happen is, is if is if brands have to have food transparency. So if they have to create products where they're not using stuff that's actually chemicals in the products. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, whether that's going to be through the FDA or through the Health Canada, I don't know. Um, for us, we're just focused on making good quality products that we know that, you know, have a certain reaction in the body. And um, again, also making it 100% taste delicious because I think at the end of the day, taste, no matter what, mm -hmm. is still the dominating factor. And I believe it will be for the next 20 years as well. So um, I just think there's there's a great amount of education coming and I'm happy about this is where you're seeing the mainstream consumer being more curious about different products, what different ingredients do. Like palm kernel oil is so bad for you. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally like, it's detrimental and people don't realize it, but slowly we're starting to see people not looking for that ingredient on the back of packages. So we're seeing it. It's just a matter. It takes time. Everything takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you have a, a lot of strengths behind this product and, and what you're doing there. What, uh, what are some of the challenges that you see in the future? And I'm curious, especially against um, challenges maybe in relation to other very large brands that might, sort of promote authenticity, but there's really not much there, but also getting into the, um, into stores because uh, it can be very, very difficult to get shelf space out there. So you're essentially competing with multi-billion dollar global companies in the product space, but also for shelf space with multi-billion dollar, you know, bricks and mortar stores. What are the challenges that you see as the most significant there? Build a megaphone and you'll never have to worry. So what I mean by that is if you build a community and you continuously build it for people that love what you stand for, what you do, and, and you know they're there as an army, they'll get you things. So for example, for retailers, we've had our army open up stores for us, go to the stores, ask for the product, beg for the product, naturally because they want to buy in their local areas, mm -hmm. and it's worked. And for us, us building our networks on social media to where we, where we and get organically between 10 and 100,000 views, it gives us access to a customer base instantaneously within the snap of a finger. The way mm -hmm. we build that network is not by paying for things, it's by being real. When you're real, it breaks through all the inauthentic content out there. So I think something that we have a competitive advantage over any of the big conglomerates um, is they're going to have trouble figuring out that authenticity that's 100% and how they tell their story in the future. Um, because again, you could Google something in the span of one second and find something out. You can't, like the blockchain technology is something similar to it verifies something. So it's always there, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think something else is we built our own manufacturing facilities, facility to be able to scale and control our scaling so we don't rely on a third party that gives us an advantage to create really cool products that are different and unique so you know i think those are the two things that i would say is manufacturing capabilities not through a co-packer but through your own manufacturing mm -hmm. um and telling an authentic story it's true to us i feel that like these corporate companies i love them but the problem is is how do they go tell a story and show the behind the scenes it's very it's a lot of red tape there that's blocking it right. and, and until they lose that the soul won't come out. Yeah. Well, you certainly, uh, I think, are a champion in, as you said, you build your megaphone, then that is uh, your, your, I guess, build your pathway to the future. Um, and, and we've talked a lot 
essentially about your product going into bricks and mortar stores, but uh, certainly in the last two years uh, due to COVID, we've seen e-commerce become very, very important for food products. Whereas um, before COVID, like people, especially in North America, were much more comfortable just going to their local food store, big Costco, et cetera. How do you see in the next several years for your product, um, e-commerce um, becoming more and more important? Or do you see your product still being mostly consumed on uh, direct purchase in stores? So I, we're a 45% D2C business right now, 55% wholesale retail. We believe the long, we believe bullish on retail um, being uh, the dominant. Uh -huh. So we actually want to go from 55% to 65, 70% retail and then stay at that 30, 35% D2C. I believe D2C is mandatory in today's world. Um, if you don't have that omni-channel approach, um, you're, you might be in trouble. Um, I think last mile logistics is very expensive and very difficult for startup brands or even large corps because of the cost of it. Um, until that's fully figured out, I think Amazon did a great job, obviously figuring that out. But um, you know, for the for other people, it's very difficult. And I think that people love to still go groceries and do their things. I still, you know, I still bullish on that. So we have a long way to go. We're only in 1,800 retail doors right now between Canada and the U.S. We could we could be in total over the next couple of years. I'd say 40,000 between those two countries, 30, 30 to 40,000. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, just the volume that could be done there is is, is incredible. Hmm. That's a, it's an interesting approach. You certainly hear a lot of companies focusing more on e-commerce today. Um, but you, you, I think the authenticity, authenticity that uh, Midday Squares is bringing seems to connect well with people in stores where they, they see the product, they can touch it, and they can take it home immediately. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, like you, we have a website that we sell on so that you could, if you want a box, great, buy the 12 pack. That's unbelievable. You could have in your house and fridge, but if you want one or two, we're not even competing with our retailers because you mm -hmm. want one or two, the only way you could get that is to go to your local store, go to your, your grocery store to get it because we don't sell one or two bars on our website. It's, it's a box. And, and I think that allows us to have the convenience factor. If someone wants something for convenience and wants it quick, they can buy on our website or Amazon, but if they if they want to go to the store and their typical shopping, they'll find the bars there and they'll get one or two to try and and then and then do what they want with it. So you need both. Um, it's just it's just it's hard to do both. It's expensive and you know margins are different on both. And I think the future is if you're not omni-channel, you will not make it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we've we've had a great discussion understanding the functional nature of the product, the authenticity of the team the way you're marketing it. Um, what are you looking at for next year in terms of areas of growth, different products, uh, additional regions? Yeah. What should we be looking for from Midday Squares? So we're, we're, our, our mandate is to continuously grow at over 100% year over year in terms of revenue. Um, we're building out our team. We're 65 right now, but next year we'll probably be at like 80, um, 85. Um, we're hiring a lot of vice presidents to, for accountability and just leadership skills. Um, something you'll see is we'll be opening a lot more in North America, the U.S. specifically, and West Coast Canada. Those are the mm -hmm. focuses. You know, we'll be opening up ma um, one last major retailer here nationally in the Canada, and then the U.S. we're focusing on, you know, natural first, and then conventional will probably be at the end of the year next year. Um, mm -hmm. In the meantime, that's from a revenue standpoint, from a team standpoint, and then from a media standpoint, 
we plan on really going really hard on content mid 2022 because we have to renovate our team right now for that. So it's going to come back very strong in mid 2022. And the goal is really to start building a lot more noise in the U.S. market um, while maintaining Canada or potentially still growing in Canada. Excellent. Well, it's been a great discussion, Jake. Um, what, what last words might you want to leave with our viewers today before we depart? 100%. So I want to leave you with, imagine we drew a graph. And in the graph, I asked you to place average decisions or average inputs. If you placed only average inputs, it would be a dotted line that just stays like a dotted line in the middle. And it would be average. There's no chance statistically that you can have something that lands on the outside. If you're, if you're giving it average inputs, you're going to get average outputs that come out of it. Mm-hmm. If you give it unaverage inputs, the likelihood of you having an unaverage outcome is very high. Whether that's really good or really bad, you're going to have one of those two or many of those two, but you're not going to have average. So what I want to tell to anyone is go out there, be bold, and put at unaverage inputs in. Make unaverage mm-hmm. decisions, and you'll see an unaverage outcome. To us at Midday Squares, we don't want to be average. We don't want to be mediocre. We are striving for greatness. We want to be a top chocolate conglomerate. And the only way we get there is by continuously to make unaverage decisions. So when we're on the side of the majority, we always stop and reflect because we we don't like to be on the side of the majority. And it puts us in a really uncomfortable zone. But that feeling of uncomfortableness is actually what leads to greatness. So that's all I want to leave. That's excellent. Certainly positive change makers in the sector. Great to see that. Exciting to see that. I'd like to thank you again, Jake Carls with Midday Squares for being with us on the Future Foodcast. And we look forward to having you back again. I love it. Hopefully we'll be even bigger. (laughs) Excellent. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.